What I'm going to do today, we're going to continue in our series in Psalms, prayers for this moment. We're going to talk about Psalm 51. I want to talk about how to have a changed heart, how to have a new heart. How many people know life happens and you need to have your heart changed and renewed? And what do you do when you make mistakes? When maybe you make an epic mistake, what do you do? We're going to talk about that. So Psalm 51 says, if you look in uh, your Bibles, it'll say, to the choir master at the top of it. So what is that all about? But this is literally a song that was to be sung. Now, why would, it, why would we want to sing the song, that Psalm 51 here? Because it is to be remembered. It is to be sung again and again. It is actually to be repeated. It is actually instructive to your life. It's actually a song that is to anchor your heart. A song, actually, that you're to build into your life. And so watch. When we sing it, what do we do? We drive it deeper into our hearts. We drive it deeper into our souls. That's why we sing this. So this is meant to be sung over and over. I, I will quote parts of this psalm, I would say on average, at least three times a week. When I wake up in the morning, I have certain prayers and, and uh, I'm preparing for the day. And I will repeat things that I'm going to talk about today. So I'm not just like giving you a sermon because I don't have anything better to do. This really is, flows out of my life. When I buried my father and when I, when I used to sing over my father when he was dying, I would sing Psalm 51 over my, the, the dying body of my father. When my mother was dying, I would sing this over her too. And so this is central to my life, what I'm talking about. This is very personable. And so, personal. And so what we're talking about is a psalm of a changed heart. We're talking about how to draw near to God when you fail. And how many people know? You will. We're talking about a, a confession, a psalm that is a confession of sin. It's a psalm that is a, a psalm of brokenness, a psalm of restoration. It is a psalm of cleansing, a psalm of hope. Uh, it's a psalm of how to live life without regrets, if you'll do it. A psalm of a, how to have a new heart, how to have a changed heart here. And so we're going to be talking about this this morning. And one of the things that I want to I want to bring to your attention is that Psalm 51 is one of the most raw, most gut-wrenching, most vulnerable, most incredibly honest, unfiltered, straight from the heart to you. And so when you wonder who is Psalm 51 written for, it was written for you, friends out there. It was written for me, for people just like us. It was written for people that are maybe dealing with something from the past, maybe shame from the past. Uh, maybe you have a secret that you've never told anybody. It's uh, people living with something that has haunted you. Uh, perhaps something, uh, you, maybe there's some guilt there. Maybe you have heartache. Maybe there's a crushing heartache from the past. Maybe you're dealing with a sense of loss, even a tremendous sense of loss. People that feel like they want to give up. And so people that are living with that, but then they want to be right with God, like, how do you do that? And so the Psalms will make your life better, and they will make you better at life. And so the Psalms are meant to be a part of your life. I want to encourage you, challenge you, to look at the Psalms. And some of them, they're only like six verses last week, eight verses. You could take a minute or two and read a few Psalms. That's what they were intended to do. And so Psalms 51 tell you what to do when you make poor choices. Tells you what to do when you make mistakes. 
Tells you what to do if you have a regret. Does anybody in the house, in the cars, have regrets? I have regrets. Tells you what to do. Tells you what to do when you fall. Maybe if you have a little moral deal, a moral collapse, tells you what to do. Tells you what to do when you fall into temptation. Tells you what to do when you sin, maybe you have shame. Psalm 51 tells you what to do when you've disappointed yourself. When you've disappointed people around you. And when you know you've disappointed God, it tells you what to do here. Psalm 51 tells you what to do when you negatively impact the people around you or those that are really close to you. It tells you what to do. And so here's what you're going to get this morning from Psalm 51. I'm going to tell you the backstory. So all of us know the backstory. Some of us do. Some of us don't. You're going to get the backstory, and then which makes it incredibly powerful. And then I'm going to give you four principles for returning back to God. When you, you've had a mistake, epic mistake, whatever's happened, how do you go back to God? Four principles for a changed heart, for a new heart. So Psalm 51 was written in response to an event that happened in the life of the most powerful man on the planet at the time, King David. The backstory is David is Israel's greatest king. He's living the lifestyles of the rich and famous. This guy is super rich, super powerful, amazing guy, but he's kicking back at home. He's kicking back at home when the Bible says that at a time when kings went out to battle, David was in the bedroom. Well, what was going on with that? Something was going sideways with David. And so David is soaking up the good life, living a life of leisure, living a life of ease while the troops are out at war. David has everything going for him. David, as a young shepherd boy, is anointed to be the king of Israel. I mean, how heady is that? Like when you're like a pre-teenager, and you're going to be the king of the most powerful empire in the world at that time. So David is on a roll. David is a hero. David is a military genius. David is a sweet psalmist of Israel. David has defeated Goliath. David is walking with God for many years. David's got this legendary heart for God. He's experiencing unprecedented success. David is the man. And everything is going great for him. But then this moment happens where the Bible says that he's supposed to be out fighting battles and he's at home now. So David, I want you to see this. David is in a personal kind of a danger zone. And you have those seasons of life where you know that everything is not right with you and God. It's kind of a, kind of a personal danger zone. And so there's a deeper issue at play in David's heart here where David is neglecting his responsibilities as the king. And David now has something that's not right inside of him. David is essentially kind of at a low point, I think. And the Bible says that David went out into the palace there. When the kings went out to war, he's in the palace in kickback mode, relaxing in his uh, lazy boy, kind of enjoying life there, and decides to step outside to get a little fresh air. So David there, he gets a little fresh air. And literally, when he was outside in the original language, it means he was pacing back and forth and pacing back and forth there on the, on the kingdom palace there. And so something is going on. And David looks over onto the, down from his palace there, and he has one of those, oh, my 
goodness moments where he sees a woman bathing. She just happened to be like Miss Israel. And so David doesn't know what to do with himself. He doesn't really have a whole lot of self-control there. And he's about to step into the darkest moment of his life. Being the sovereign king and doing anything that you want to do, you can do. He summons this woman named Bathsheba, married to Uriah, known as Uriah the Hittite. And so he then imposes his evil intentions upon her and he essentially rapes her. So David went from being this superstar to raping Bathsheba. I mean, get your mind around that. So the devastating news comes out, and Bathsheba tells David, David, I'm pregnant. And now David is faced with a great dilemma, the same dilemma that we're faced with, friends, all the time. What do I do? I have a mistake, an epic mistake. Do I confess it, or do I conceal it, or what do I do here? Well, he chooses not to confess, and he chooses to conceal David makes a bad mistake, just like we make mistakes. But then what he does is he covers his bad mistake with another bad mistake. How many of you know that the most important time to make a good decision is after you make a bad decision? Well, that's what he did here. And so David now makes another bad decision. To cover his bad decision, he covers a bad decision with another bad decision and then another bad decision. So he's in a dilemma. Now he's in desperation mode. So now he comes up with an idea. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summon Uriah. So he summons Uriah, who's on the battlefield with the troops, guys full of integrity, full of, no, you know, just a noble guy. And he says, hey, Uriah, I've been thinking about you, and I think you need a little r and &R. I think you need a little rest, and Uriah, it's, it's on me, okay? It's on me. I, I care about you. It's on me. Little R&R, &R, little rest. I want you to go home, have a little time with your wife, and, uh, and just enjoy yourself. So David attempts to cover his adultery so that everyone will think that the child is Uriah's and not David's. So David's trying to conceal his sin here. But again, Uriah is so full of integrity and noble that he's like this. David, I, there's no way I can do that. What you're asking me to do is unthinkable. You're asking me to do something that is dishonorable. I could never do that to my men fighting in the war. And so I'm going to sleep in the streets, but I am not going to sleep with my wife here. And so David's like, dang, what am I going to do? Like, duh. All right. So what does he do? But he makes a bad decision, makes another bad decision like we do. You make a mistake. And what do you do? Someone asks you about it. Then you lie about your mistake. Then when they press you on it, you lie a little bit more about your mistake, right? So we do the same thing as David here. So David's thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then he comes up with another plan. i gotta cover my, got to cover my bases here. And so picture now, David writes out a letter to give to Joab, the commander of the chief of the, of the army there of Israel, and he's going to give it to David. So David writes this letter, and this is what it says. It says, put Uriah at the front line of the hottest and most ferocious place of the battle troops, and then withdraw the troops and leave Uriah there by himself to perish. And so what David does is he gives the death warrant to Uriah. Uriah takes the death warrant 
to Joab, and Joab carries out the death warrant to have David murdered. And that's what happens here. And so with that background, this is what happened. So David then, after Uriah is murdered, he's like, wow, man, you win some, you lose some, and uh, yeah, we lost one, and Uriah's dead, and there's David with the blood of Uriah's hands on him. Uriah's laying in a pool of blood, raped Bathsheba. So the political murder now is played out perfectly here. And I think David was kind of privately doing a little celebration in his heart, like, yeah, I finally covered my bases, covered it up. No one's going to ever know. The Bible says this. The Bible says that God has a way of dealing with us when we make epic mistakes. God has a way of even sending somebody into our lives, almost like a secret agent from the Almighty to talk to you about you. Because the reality was this. David was at this point just like us. He was fending off the inaudible voice of the Holy Spirit. So what does God have to do? What is God's only choice? If you won't listen to the inaudible voice of the Holy Spirit, God will send an audible voice. So God then sends Nathan the prophet, the secret agent. And the Bible literally says, so the Lord sent Nathan to David here. And so Nathan then in this dramatic moment tells this well-crafted story and David is hearing the story and getting all worked up. He's all lathered up about the story and he's like he's just ready to lose it because of the incredible injustice of what was happening here. And David then hears the words from Nathan saying, like David said, who did this thing? And David said, Nathan said, you did this thing. You are the man in the story. And David is crushed. David is overwhelmed. And David is exposed. And David has nowhere to hide. And so David now is having to deal with knowing that now God knows. Everyone's going to know. So that is the back story. Uriah is dead. Bathsheba was pregnant. And he's also going to lose the child. And so that now, in that background, David crushed, praise this prayer. Verse 1, Psalm 51. David says that he looks to God and remembers God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion and abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. So David now, he's not going inward. You know, in, in, in culture, it really there's a great emphasis about kind of get inside yourself and try to figure it out and, and, uh, and you, can, you can sort it out. But David says, wash away all my iniquity. He says, cleanse me from my sin. So the first thing I want us to see David does is David goes to God. David doesn't get inside. He doesn't waste time kind of looking inward, but he begins to look upward. He looks outward. He looks Godward. And so if you want to have a new heart, when you made a mistake, the first thing you got to do is not look inside. You've got to look outside, upward, Godward, so that God can deal with your life. So David says, uh, have mercy on me, O God. In other words, he realizes, I have been utterly unmerciful. I have been bad to the bone. I murdered Uriah. But Lord, you're not like that. 
Lord, you're a God of compassion, and you're a God who's full of mercy, and a God who's full of unfailing love. And so what does David do? But he's looking upward at all that God is, just as we sang this morning. This is who you are. David was singing that song. This is who that you are. So if you want to have a right heart, you want to have an, a changed heart, you, after an epic mistake, the first thing you do is you go to God. So David is saying this. David is saying, God blot out. In other words, destroy my transgressions. I know they're well documented. I know that you know everything that I did. But God, I'm asking you, even though it has not escaped your attention, erase my sins from the record. David is literally saying, God, I know that you have the books. I know there's the record books of all that I've done. But would you burn the books? Burn the books. Destroy the public record. I need you to erase what I did is what David is saying. So David then makes this additional request to God. And friends, we, made him, we need to make the same request because it's not enough just to ask for forgiveness. We need to do that as David does here. But David recognized there's something much deeper going on. There are heart issues which God has to deal with. And so notice the dual aspect of his prayer where he says, Lord, destroy the public record, but I need more than that. I need you to do something on the inside here. Come inside me, come into the world of my heart and deal with me at the world of my heart where you traffic. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might show himself strong to those whose hearts are right toward him. So David recognized his heart need to be dealt with, so he invites God to come into the world of his heart, to the very source of the issues of his life. And friends, I just want to say this, that there's no answer. There's no answer to your mistakes. There's no answer to our brokenness. There's no answer to our sin apart from going to God. And so that's what David did. He says, it says, wash me, like David gets it. Remember, he's confessing. He's been confronted by the secret agent from God. He says, wash me of my sin here. David's not playing games with God. David's like being serious. David now is going to deal with this at a, a gut-level, gut-wrenching way. And he says, wash me. And it's interesting, uh, wash me, because when we think of being washed, we think of our washing machines. We think about throwing the clothes in the washing machine. I did this yesterday. I'm fun, it's fun throwing those little balls in there. I'm throwing the balls in there. And then you come back in a half hour, and everything is clean. But it wasn't like that when David wrote the psalm. You know, in those days, or third world countries, they got to beat the clothes, right? Have you ever seen that? If you've been in a third world country, they beat the clothes. So literally, what this means is, this means to wash by pounding. David is saying, look, I know my heart is so evil that you've got to wash me by pounding. So David was saying this, God, this is what you have to do to my life. One more just for emphasis. So, uh, so that's what David recognized. It's not enough just to say, Lord, I, I blew it, I screwed it. No, he's saying, Lord, I recognize there's such evil in my heart that it takes you to go to the inner chambers of my heart. And you've like God got to pound some stuff out of me. Whatever it looks like, I'm signing up for that and I'm saying yes to that. And then when he says, not only that, wash me, but he says, cleanse me. 
Another interesting word that literally means this. It means to bring heat to a subject. Speaking of silversmiths that would make silver, and they'd have to heat things and burn out the impurities to do their castings. Otherwise, they would get miscasts. And so David is saying, cleanse me. In other words, whatever heat you got to bring, Whatever you got to do to bring out the impurities, God, I am opening myself to you that you would do that. See, the first thing is, you, friends, you got you to go to God. If you want to return to him when you make a mistake, you got to do that. And so the second thing is found in verse 3 that you have to do. It says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He said, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. So he goes to God. Number two, what does he do? He admits the obvious, right? He admits the obvious. How hard that can be for us to do, but you got to admit the obvious about yourself. Notice there's no denying. There's no minimizing. There's no dismissing. There's no excusing. There's no blame shifting, blaming others. No, my sin. Five times, David says, my sin, my iniquity, my transgressions, and repeats it again in the next verse. Five times he's acknowledging, I did wrong here. So he's not blaming others. He's not saying, well, you know, God, I mean, like you made me king after all, and you made me king, and you like, you put me on that amazing palace, and you put me on the palace roof there, and uh, I mean, did you really have to drop like Miss Israel, like right in my lap there, God? And did you see God like, Lord, what she wasn't wearing, why would you, do, I mean, what am I supposed to do? God, like, I'm the king, and I can have anything I want. No, none of that. My sin, my transgression, my iniquity. He admits, he's admitting the obvious here. David owns his sin. So then he uses, interestingly, he uses every word in the book to describe his sin. He just doesn't stop at sin, talks about transgression, then, then uh, uh, talks about iniquity, and he owns up to what he did. He says, blot out my transgressions. I know what I did was wrong. I know I raped Bathsheba. I know I murdered Uriah. I know I crossed the line and I transgressed against you. Sometimes we, we make mistakes, even epic mistakes. We sin. How we do this very thing. We dismiss it. We minimize it. We blame somebody. David said, I was wrong. And friends, if you want to be right with God, you want to have a changed heart, you got to do this very thing here. So what David says is, wash away my iniquity. You know what that means? It says, wash away my iniquity. The Hebrew word is crooked. It's crooked. He says, wash away what's in me. That it's, it's so crooked what's in me. He said, I know I'm flawed to my, I'm crooked to my core here. He said, I don't make straight paths. I choose crooked paths, and that is who I am. And so he said, look, I recognize who I am. Then he says, cleanse my sin. Sin, uh, it means to miss the mark. Harmatia, to miss the mark. Not like I act, he's saying, I know who I am. I don't like I accidentally missed the mark there. No, God, you said, you aimed me, go this direction here. And I said, I will miss that mark, and I will go after any mark that I want to go after. I'll chase all the marks, but I'm not going to go after the mark that you want, and I will find sin at every angle possible. And that's what David confessed to God. And so to have a changed heart, you got to, you got to go to God. You got to admit the, the obvious. And he says this, my sin is always before me. 
I'm not trying to cover it up anymore. I'm not trying to hide it. I'm not trying to stuff it. My sin is always before me. I crossed the line and I know exactly, I knew exactly where the line was. You know, you have those moments, uh, those moments, just like David did, moments of weakness, moments of temptation, and you know you're about to cross the line. You know what I'm talking about? And you know exactly where the line is, and you cross that line. Friends, that's what he's talking about. Against you, verse 4, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David recognizes the severity of his sin here. He says, God, I did it. I admit I was wrong. And I'm confessing to you, confess means to say the same thing as God, homo legeo, to say the same thing as God is saying about you. That's to confess. So David recognizes what he did. He's owning his own choices. No putting a spin on it, just coming clean. That's what we need to do as David exampled for us. Then he says, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, now, now what's the deal with that? Uriah's in a pile of blood. Bathsheba's pregnant, going to lose his son. Against you and you only have I sinned. What, what, what about Uriah? What about Bathsheba? What about your child? David recognizes this. He recognizes that all sin is ultimately against God. It's all against God. Sometimes we just think that sin is against other people. Well, if, if, if I've harmed you, you didn't just harm them, you harmed God. All sin is against God. And so he says this, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. In other words, my mother gave birth to a crooked baby. That I, I, I was bad to the bone when I was born. My issues are not superficial. This is like my nature. God's got to change my nature. Verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean, and wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Now hyssop, was a plant that is found there in Exodus 12, kind of an herb-type plant. They dip it in blood and use it for purification. So the whole picture there is a hyssop is something that's used to purify. And David's saying, ah, that's what people do. That's, I need more than that. I don't need this little ceremonial cleansing. What I need, Lord, is you to cleanse my heart, ultimately. And so he says, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Saying, God, I want you to bring me back to a place of joy and gladness. And then in verse 10, he says, create in me a pure heart, watch friends, and renew a right spirit within me. Now how can God do that? How can God create in us a pure heart, a new heart, a renewed heart? You see, first of all, go to God. Admit the obvious, own your sin, but now we ask God to change him. It's the third thing you have to do. You have to ask God to change you. When he says this, create in me, he's saying the, the original Hebrew word is bara. In the beginning, God bara created the heavens and the earth. Watch this, because it's very important about understanding what God wants to do in you. So everybody listen, don't miss what I'm about to say, because this is what God wants to do in you. God wants to do something new in you that no one else can do. See, when you create, when I create, we create from pre-existing things. God says, that's not what I'm going to do in your heart. I'm not going to take your heart and try to do something out of your old heart. You need a new heart. I've got to create something that has never existed before. 
God is going to borrow to create a new heart. There's no place to start with your old heart. Your old heart is done and over. Uh, David said, create in me something that is absolutely new. Only God can do bara. No one else can do that. God can only go to places and do things and reach places inside you only he can reach. So this is what God is doing in him, giving him a brand new heart from the Almighty. Friends, this is the gospel, the good news, that God can change you. You ask God to change you, number three. He's saying, I was born in iniquity. I was a line crosser. I was crooked to the core. I was all of those things and more, and I need a heart change at the heart level. And that's what we need to do, friends. Like many of us, we just like, we just say, well, God, forgive me for lusting. Forgive me for going off on my husband. Forgive me for going off on the kids. Friends, that's not enough. That's not going to work. You have got to ask God to change your heart. Like Dave, you want to be a, a, a new person? Ask him to change your heart. Create in me a clean heart. I, I pray this all the time. This, is, this needs to be built into our life. This is why it's a song to be sung over and over. And so he says, don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Well, what is that about? Well, Saul, he saw his predecessor, Saul. God took the Holy Spirit from Saul. Saul said, the way, who you are, that's it. I'm taking my Holy Spirit. I'm giving you an evil spirit. It says in 1 Samuel, now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. David saw that. David said, I don't want that to happen to me. And look at what I've done. So he said, he said, Lord, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't let what happened to Saul happen to me. And then he says this, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. Well, how, how does that work? How do you have joy again in your life? Well, if we experience God's cleansing power, Friends, it may, be, it may be painful. It may be painful. But I'm telling you, when God has to deal with us and God has to burn some purities out and pound on us, okay, when that happens and you're on the other side of that, you receive God's forgiveness, you, forgive, you receive a new heart, I'm telling you, there's going to be a new joy in your life. And then he says this in verse 13. And then, after you restore me, Watch what David says. This is amazing. Don't miss this. I will teach transgressors your ways so that I will cause sinners to turn back to you. This is the fourth thing here that you do. And that is you commit to God. You commit your life to Jesus and you take everybody else with you. I will cause others to turn back to you. David says, if you restore me and you give me the Holy Spirit and you cleanse my heart, I will spend the rest of my life telling people about you. Friends, how awesome is this? How awesome is this? Try to get your mind around this. There's the same guy, the same guy that says, put Uriah on the front line of the hottest, most ferocious battle and withdraw the troops and leave Uriah by himself so that he will be murdered. How does a guy that said that then says, I will teach transgressors your ways and I'll turn sinners back to you? I mean, how could he go from so far in one direction to so far in another that God, it's 
all about you because his heart was changed. And so commit your life to God. See, friends, nothing separates us from the love of God. Nothing. God loves to chase down the prodigal. He includes the excluded. God is a God that is for us and not against us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, period, and nothing else. Okay, If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. And that's what David realized here because we can be inclined, and I know this is true of you. I know it's true of you because it's true of me. And that is when you have... You have whatever it is. You have your Uriah moment. You have your epic mistake that you are ashamed about, and you feel, how could God ever use me to teach transgressors your ways when I did that? And the shadow of the past causes you to want to shrink back. But I'm, I want to encourage you here. Friends, look. David did it. David's, I would imagine David's done, done worse than you. I'd imagine that his, his track record is worse than ours. David did it, yet he said, I'll teach transgressors your ways, and I'll lead sinners back to you. My last thing I want to say, my almost last thing I want to say is this. It says, verse 14, And my tongue will sing your righteousness. I'll open my lips, Lord, and my mouth is going to declare your praise so David's saying, like, what has happened inside me? You get a new heart, friends. God changes your heart. You return to God. And it is so transformative that, that, like David, you would say, I will devote myself and I will declare his praise. I will declare singing unto him. And it becomes who you are. becomes your lifestyle. And some of you, some of you, you need to take a step. I'm telling you, you need to take a step in that direction. You need to, you need to recognize what has happened. And so... I close with this. Verse 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. Watch. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. See, the thing that God won't despise, the sacrifice that God wants, we can bring him all kinds of stuff and say all kinds of things, but God says, hey, there's one thing that I don't despise. There's one thing that, that I really want from you. And what is that one thing? I want a heart that is broken. Uh, it literally means to break to pieces. It says, I want a heart that is contrite, meaning literally crushed. Think of that. Think of that for a moment. Something that crushed you and you know you were crushed and you were changed forever. God says, that is something I will never despise. Your crushed and your broken heart. So David says this, I want a contrite, I want a contrite heart. I want to have a heart, God, that it is broken before you. And literally how this comes to expression is, I'm going to run after the things that you want, oh God. Not the things that I want, not insisting on my way, but I'm going to surrender to you on your terms and bring no fine print with my surrender. So God, friends, I just want to say that he doesn't want anything more from you. What he wants from you is he wants, he wants you. He wants you.
and he wants your heart. So, so what's your decision? rest of the story what happened to David Uriah face down in a pool of blood Bathsheba pregnant raped the baby was born dies what happens to David David was David defined by his past nope. or was David defined by the grace of God see it's not your past that is to define you but we let it define us but see David was defined, really, the greatest king ever. He's remembered for his legendary heart for God. And this is what the Bible says about him in 1 Kings 15. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and never failed to keep any of the Lord's commandments all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah, that mistake. But we remember David for being a man with a heart for God. And so I just want to encourage us to... Go after God, admit the obvious, ask for a changed heart. Create me a clean heart, O oh God. And finally, just commit to Him. I'll teach transgressors your ways, and I'll lead sinners back to you. God wants to do that in you. That's what He wants to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Such a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. I pray that you would bless your word to our hearing. And I pray that you would do this. And I pray that you would do more. May we recite and remember and sing again and again Psalm 51. As Taps leads us in this very psalm.